Two weeks ago, we kicked off the series, Where Are We Going? Where Are We Going? Uh, and uh, again, just as a reminder to everybody, you've probably seen the rent sign for rent signs up in the window. Our lease on this building is up in October of this year. And that's fine. The curtain is about to fall on our time here in this building. And uh, that's okay. We're okay with that. We've known this was a possibility uh, for 10 years since we signed the lease 10 years ago. We knew this was a possibility and we've known it was a certainty for over a year and a half now. So knowing in advance, uh, that's given us the chance to really pray and consider and to think and to seek counsel and ask a bunch of questions. And some of those questions that we asked her, we talked about these two weeks ago, was just, what is the church? What is the church? What is it supposed to be? What was Jesus' intention for forming the church? How are churches around us in the world living up to this? And how are they not living up to this? And well, how is our church living up to this? And how is our church not living up to this? And should we be doing the same thing that we're doing right now somewhere different? Or should we just be doing something different entirely? And so we're actually going to talk a little bit about some of these questions today and and try to answer them. But uh, I think it's been really cool. I shared this like two weeks ago that I think it's been really awesome that we've had this time and we've known this is coming and it's given us really a chance to to pray and, and not panic and not just say oh my gosh where are we going to meet tomorrow we we've kind of had this known this is coming and so it's been a, just a great season of consideration and we sort of formulated a plan here I put this picture up too is just to think about hey we've we've laid out a road map and we're we're trusting the Lord as we go down this road map into the place that he's going to have us and so we're going to share here this week and the next few weeks on where we're going. We're going to share this roadmap with you. Um, again, just as a spoiler alert, we're not closing our doors. We're not shutting down. We're not, that's not the plan here. We're not going to stop what we're doing. But we just want to share this new and exciting thing that we're doing, just a piece at a time, so that you can have a chance also to think about it and pray about it and tune your heart to what God's doing here. And if you get questions, you can ask questions and um, we shared uh, two weeks ago uh, three encouragements for this time uh, as we go through this and, and make this plan here in, in 2021 is to be present. Of course, to to be here, and obviously when people are sick, it's tough to do that, but be here and uh, we'll, we'll have all the messages uh, put up on our website on the podcast so you can listen to those and if you have questions and um, but not just being here but but being present and enjoying the moment and understanding that hey God is has us on a journey and this is a step and let's not try to hurry past the step God has for us let's enjoy it together second thing is to be prepared uh, you know, just like we prepare, we talked about that two weeks ago, just like with the seasons and summer comes around and, uh, you know, you got to pull out the gardening stuff and, you know, put away the winter clothes and we want to be prepared and have this preparation and realize that new things will be required of us as we go into new seasons. But to also be peaceful, that knowing that Jesus is with us, that this is his thing, this really is his thing. I, a fellow pastor, um, I was texting with him, uh, Paul from Greeley, and uh, we were we were texting a couple weeks ago, and he was asking how things are going, and I was sharing what was going on with our church, and he said, wow, I'll really be praying for you, and he said, I, I hope you're not fearful or worried or in peace. I said, I really am, because I really sense that, hey, this church is, is not mine, it's God's, and so it's God's things, and, you know, 
What's the worst thing that happens? It crashes and burns? Well, guess what? It's God's thing to crash and burn if he wants to crash and burn it. So it's okay. And I'm okay. And I can be at peace. And I hope that you guys will be at peace too as we sort of walk through this. So, And then last week, of course, I wasn't here. But I know Tim shared about what's happening in his work there in China and with the, the fellowship of believers there. And was it encouraging? Is it encouraging? Yes? Good? Good? I think uh, there's probably a lot to learn from what is going on with Tim and Julie, what they're doing there in China, what their experience is, what the model that they're using for their church, what the vision is for that group of saints. Um, but today, let's look at where we're going. Where? Where are we going? That's probably the question in everybody's heart. And again, that loss of the building isn't just a, like, oops. Or what? Oh no! Or, you know, I slipped and fell or something. We've known it was coming and it's just been this catalyst for us to ask the question, why are we doing what we're doing? Why, as a church, are we doing the things that we're doing? And where is our culture at in terms of spirituality and the Christian faith? And what are our strengths? We have a circle of people here. What are our strengths as a group of people? See, my concern has been if we just kind of scooped things up, If we just said, all right, let's just sort of scoop up what we have here. Let's just sort of scoop it up and move it over to some other place and just sort of recreate it in some other place. I thought, you know, we might miss what God has for us. Maybe God has something new for us. He's, He's got some way that he wants us to sort of retool what we're doing so that we can be more effective in our disciple making, right? Um, in, in my experience as an architect and, and working with a number of churches, I, I sometimes come across that with churches where uh, they have a sort of a situation, whether it's in their building or in their process or whatever, where they're doing something and they're, they're looking to move to something new and they feel like they want to sort of scoop that thing up and, and move it. Like one example, uh, I was working with a church and, and we were talking about renovating their building and they said, well, we have this kitchen and we really need to have this kitchen. I said, okay, that's cool. Well, why do you need this kitchen? Well, because we make cookies for visitors. And I said, okay, so is, is making cookies like an essential part of your mission? And they were like, hmm, well, you know, reach out to visitors is really sort of the central thing. We just make cookies. I said, well, why do you make cookies? Well, when we moved into this building, we had a kitchen, and so we make cookies. And I said, okay, so is it really necessary that you scoop up the the cookie making and move it over here and spend all this money and this effort on a kitchen in this new sort of situation? Or do you want to just take the heart of, hey, we really want to reach out and touch visitors' lives and carry that with you? It's like, oh, okay. So I want to make sure we don't fall into that trap. I want us to be as effective as possible as a church, and I want to look at our strengths and say, could we really, are there things we're doing now where maybe we could just refocus what we're doing around the strengths that we have as a church? So, to begin this process, when I started this process, I said, okay, I'm going to step way back. Right? It's like you're on Google Earth and you want to zoom way out. You're like, hey, it's the Earth. <laughs> right? Isn't that cool? You can, you can go way out in the space. I love that. I love technology. Um, but I wanted to look at the bigger picture. And I wanted to think about not just what we were doing, but I wanted to try to step back and look at what is happening with the church and what is happening with Christianity in America and what are other churches doing. And really, my work as an architect has been really fortunate that I think by God's grace, I've been able to work with other churches. And it's put me in contact with a lot of other pastors here and in other parts of the country and to sort of see what is God doing. And it's let me observe 
kind of in a covert way, right? Where I'm like, oh, I'm observing. I'm here for architecture, but I'm observing. Like, what are churches doing? And I've learned some things. But I thought maybe we should start this morning with the question, what is church? Like, let's just go back all the way back to the end. Zoom all the way out and we go, okay, what is church? Well, here we have the first mention in the New Testament of church. Matthew 16, 18, you know the story. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus says, I, he says, you're awesome, Peter, basically, right? He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, regardless of what we do, if we're part of what Jesus sets up, we're never going to lose. Amen? It's good news to us. Now, if you look at the Greek here, the Greek word for church is... Ecclesia. We've probably heard that. I know I've talked about that before. And what ecclesia really means is called out ones. It is a group of people who are called out. Now, interestingly enough, this term church, this term ecclesia, was familiar to the Jews. It was familiar to the disciples. They understood what it meant because the Jews often used this term to describe the nation of Israel. They said, we've been called out of the world. We've been called out to be this group. So what's really happening here is that Jesus is saying, all right, look guys, I'm making a new organization. I'm sort of calling you out of the called out ones. He's saying, I am calling you out. This new organization will be of called out people, starting from this group, you guys, Peter and you guys here, this group of disciples. I'm starting a new organization. It starts from your confession of me as the Christ. So that's where it starts. And he says, this is the group, right? And this is so important. Because Jesus is God, right? So he has what kind of power? all the power in the world, right? He can make whatever sort of a organization he wanted. He could have made a pro sports team. Uh, he could have made a community organization. Uh, he could have made a, uh, a Ponzi scheme. I don't know. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But he said, I'm going to make a church, a gathering of called out ones. That's the thing he made, and so I want to pay attention to that. So we can say, okay, what makes a group of people a church? What makes a church a group of called out people? And so, I'm going to give you a few things here that I think is, is what really makes up a church, what we're given from the New Testament. We're going to talk about these more next week and look at them a little bit closer. So, we'll just kind of run through them today. Uh, what makes a group of people of a church is they have a mission. We know what that mission is. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This group of people also has a purpose. They're not just sort of milling about doing nothing or hanging out and, you know... You know, drink a tea on the veranda or something. They have a purpose. They're headed a place, right? They have guidelines. They're not just, well, figure yourself out. Here's some organizational things. They, they meet together. They remember Jesus together. They worship God together. They pursue goodness together. There are these guidelines for what you can and should and shouldn't do. They also have a structure. The structure is they're led by elders. And again, we'll talk more about this next week. And they uphold holiness and, and hold standards within their community. And so I think when we look at these things, we go, well, the scripture kind of gives us a good idea, doesn't it? It says, what's a church? Here's what a church is. I think it's a good idea. Now, there's many people around us in the culture who have taken that word, church, 
and turn it into something else that probably doesn't look a whole lot like this or maybe misses the, misses the mark on some of these things. They've sort of departed from that definition that the, the scripture gives us in the New Testament. And so I think it's cool when we look, we go, okay, it wasn't just some passage or some manual given to us where we say, hey, look, here's the chapter on what a church is. We look at the New Testament, you get these little snapshots from all over the place, and you put them all together, and you go, oh, I can understand in my mind what a biblical church should be and what it shouldn't be. So that leads us to that third question. What are the characteristics of a church, or what is the model? What's the model of a church? Well, interestingly, because there's all these snapshots, there's not really, again, there's not really this chapter that says, here's what a church should do, and here's what it should be. And, and we get these pictures as Paul and the other epistles, the apostles are writing these letters, and they're saying this about the church and that about the church. But we get one picture, like one sort of bigger snapshot of what's going on in a church. Anyone know where that is? Anyone? It's in Acts. Acts chapter 2. Well, we'll read it here. This is the one place in the New Testament where we get a clear picture of what's happening, practically speaking, in church. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What happened? All came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so, again, I can go back and say, man, I kind of wish there was a manual. I wish, I've sometimes joked that with other pastors, where I said, well, you know, let's just get the manual and it'll tell us how we can do church and we'll just know what the model is and how it should work. And I go, well, we don't necessarily have that, but we have this. And I think this gives us some really good guidelines of, of what to do. And yet, even though this is guidelines, there maybe are some different models that have happened throughout history and different ways that the church has expressed itself and how it's worked. And so, I sort of looked at that and I came up with a a series of of diagrams of of how to organize a church, right? So I sort of drew these diagrams. I hope they're not too funny, but so here we go, right? So at the beginning, in the New Testament, we understand here's the church, and and I used our little logo there as a flame, because what really happens in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit descends like a fire on these people and they sort of, they form the church, the called out ones, and here they are by their community, They go, okay, so how are we going to sort of work this out? How is this going to work its way out in our community? And there's been a few models throughout history where this has happened. So one of those models is what I would call the civic center model. Right? So they all get together and they say, okay, we're going to create this thing that's at the heart of our community. And it's going to really serve our community. And so the church, a local church, starts to fill this cultural and civic role right there in its community. Uh, it, it really builds upon, it's been the most effective over history in places where there is a, a cultural understanding of, oh yes, there is a God. 
There is Christianity, you know, those kind of things. They're, oh, we understand God is there and we understand that we need to have some sort of habit of attending church regularly or having some sort of connection with the church, right? And so really this church, this model of church really reaches people through cultural touch points. They go, okay, you need this thing or we're going to have a community meeting here or uh, we're, we're just, we're, we're engaging with our culture right here in this sort of neighborhood. Now the goal of this is that lost people would come to know the Lord and become disciples, right? That's the goal of this model. Now there's been another model, let's sort of come up here, and it's the attractional model, right? So it's kind of the, it, some of the similar things, but in this case there's a local church that says, wow, we really see a, a, an entertainment need and a, a resource need and we really want to connect with people that way because people have this need and we can sort of step into that and so there's been this, this sort of striving to excel in the presentation saying, okay, we have the gospel and God is good and God is excellent and we want to portray him and meet needs and so we're going to create a whole bunch of a, a myriad of programs that address people's felt needs and wants and entertainment. And in this case, I think it's great. The lost has this opportunity to really encounter Jesus in relevant settings and with relevant formats. And really the goal, it's the same goal between these two things, right? The goal is that we want lost people to be brought in and hear the gospel and become disciples, right? It's the same kind of thing going on. Then there's a third model that you can see at different points through history. And that's what I would call the family model. And that's where you have the local church that says, wow, we're going to be really focused on relational needs. We want to relate to other people. We want to meet people life to life in each person's sphere, where they live and where they're at. We want to care for our neighbors. We want to care for our colleagues and our friends and our family members who don't know Jesus. And so in this case, the lost are really reached not through programs, not through a civic thing, but through really life to life personalized evangelism. And ultimately the goal is the goal is actually the same in all three of these things. We want to see the lost come to know Jesus and get saved and become disciples, right? It's the same thing in all three of these. So, you know, there's probably other models. I I sort of struggle to figure out what they were. Uh, I could probably dig deeper, but I think these would probably be the three that would be the most familiar to us in America. And again, let's make sure we're clear, all three of these have the same goal, and that goal is good, and it's biblical, and it follows what the scripture says we're supposed to do. So, when you think about the United States of America, and you go, okay, historically, where have we been in this country? Well, for most of our history, we were probably in, in which one? Yeah, we were probably in that civic center, right? And the church was the center of the town, probably from our founding up until, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, that was really where American Christianity was. But there's been kind of a trend away, hasn't there? Right? So if we even look in Denver, we say, okay, what, which model is most common in Denver today, do you suppose? Yeah, probably that attractional one, right? That second one there. Okay, so think about other churches you've been in and places you've been, and you can kind of start to see these models play out, right? But there's been this move in American culture and in Denver, definitely from the civic center model towards an attractional model. That's what's really happened here. Um, And I would say the person to blame for this is Billy Graham. 
<laughs> we can't really blame Billy Graham, right? That really, but I see it, right? Because you can kind of see that turn at the point where he started to say, well, I want to get the gospel to these people, which is wonderful. And he went and he held these large revivals and all these people showed up who would never walk in the door of a civic center church. And so Christian leaders started to say, wait a second, maybe we need to sort of retool our approach to church and stop having the civic center model and move towards something like this because we could get more people in here who could hear the good news of Jesus. And I think that was a really good thing. And I think culturally that, that happened is there's a shift away in our culture from Christianity as you know, things like prayer is not allowed in school anymore and things become more and more secular. People have really moved into this place of, ah, Okay, well, I, I like the building, but I don't really like the quote-unquote religion that goes with it. I'd rather have more of sort of a, a neutral community center where I could have those meetings or have those connection points and not really be connected with a church. And so we really even see here in Denver today, there's, I don't think there's a whole lot of civic center churches anymore, and a lot of them are really struggling with this tension. And you can tell... A lot of times, not, not universally, right? You can tell, but if you see a church that says, we have two different styles of worship service. We have a traditional and a contemporary. They're caught in this tension. That's exactly, they're in this tension because they've historically been a civic-centered church and they're finding themselves in a culture that feels more drawn towards the attractional model, right? And that's not a criticism at all. That's just observation, right? So, as American churches have become attractional, there's really some good things about this, and there's some bad things about it. And so, as they've trended this way, let's highlight what some of the good things are that have, that have come about from this. Uh, one of those things is it's really diminished obstacles to the gospel. I think that's a wonderful thing, that there's attractional churches that have said, Hey, look, we really want people to hear the gospel, and so let's take the obstacles away. So that people can hear about Jesus. I'm all for that. There's been an, an emphasis in that trend towards being hospitable and being excellent. I think the Lord calls us to be excellent and it's good to emphasize those things. And I think that's a real strength there. I think it's great that there's you know, a myriad of needs that people have. People have all kinds of felt needs in this culture. And I think it's great to be able to offer all kinds of programs to meet those needs. And I think it's really cool that many, many people can be exposed to Jesus. There's, in fact, there's a church, a larger church here in town, and kind of part of their mission statement, they say, we really want people to come here and bump into Jesus. Now, we could probably think about that a few different ways, but I think at its heart, I go, nah, I think that's probably pretty good, right? Let's, let's create a place where someone can run into Jesus, where they might not run into Jesus in other ways. So it's pretty cool in some respects. But... In addition, there being positives, I think there's some negatives, and I'll highlight some of those here too. And one of those is that it really becomes sort of entertainment and program focused, right? When I drew that sketch, I almost wanted to put like a Ferris wheel, like in the background. I don't know if churches have Ferris wheels and cotton candy, but sometimes it can feel that way. If everything is so entertainment-laden and program-heavy that maybe we're missing out on some of that heart of discipleship, because I think it can, we can have a tendency to make consumers... And not disciples. If it all, becomes all about entertainment, people can get confused and say, wow, church really is about being entertained. And in fact, it's about discipleship. It can turn church kind of into an activity. It's just something to do, to put on your resume, or it's a commodity. Uh, I don't think that's really what Jesus was trying to set up there when he set it up there in Matthew 16. 
I think it also begins to foster intense competition. And I've seen that as I've worked with pastors that there can be this tension of, well, I don't want to steal from other other churches, but man, I sure would like to have those people in my church so my church would be bigger. And I go, ooh, that's that's kind of a scary thing when we're really trying to attract people. We start to uh, move into that way. I, I think it also creates this professional class. It creates this professional class of people who run churches. And there's everybody else. There's, there's the people who run it and the people who consume it. Well, when you look in the New Testament, we don't see that. We don't see this distinction between the people who run the church and the people who are the church. There's not this different class. And so I think that can become a problem as well. It it sort of takes that priesthood of believers away from the believers. I think also we can begin to emphasize business and success metrics instead of what maybe is at the heart of the New Testament, what really was Jesus' heart, right? I think, oh, oh, we don't want to do that. I don't want to lose the heart of Jesus here. And, and I, I look uh, at the world around us, and we've talked about this before, and I'm sure you've heard about that idea that, oh, we're losing the youth in Christianity. Youth are, are walking away from Christ in rapid numbers at, at great rates as they become adults. And I wonder if any of this stuff has really contributed to that. I, I, I think it may. And so when I think about Denver here, I think about our culture, and I go, well, what do I know about Denver? Well, I hope you would agree with me. If we look at Denver, we'd say this is a deeply entertainment-driven culture, isn't it? People are very, very interested in activities here. I mean, this is the place for recreation. This is the place for fitness. This is a place for all different kinds of activities, all different kinds of consumption of different goods and, and services. And, and I don't know, maybe we sort of get numb to that because we live here, but when I talk to people who come from other places, they go, wow, Denver is this is very entertainment-driven, very consumer-driven. And frankly, I love it here. I love Denver. This is really cool. I didn't grow up here, but man, I've come to love the city in the past 15 years. I think it's just this beautiful, vibrant, and friendly place. But I think it has some ramifications. And one of those ramifications is that if you are a church and you have, want to be attractional, if you want to attract, you're going to have to expend substantial resources. Substantial resources to compete with that entertainment culture. Now, if you were going to be in a culture that was maybe less entertainment-driven, but you knew people still had an entertainment need, you say, well, we could provide maybe entertainment in some way. Is that a means of drawing people to Christ? And yet here I go, oh, the level of entertainment is so high. The resources that have to be expended are pretty substantial. And so what do we see in this culture when we look at churches? We see big churches getting bigger. And we see small churches closing. Why? Because they can't compete. It's kind of this Walmart approach. There's even a church here in town that what their approach has been they've grown big and they, they go and they say, all right, we're going to go create satellites locations that are going to be places. And they sort of drop into neighborhoods without a whole lot, it appears like, a whole lot of regard for what's going on in that neighborhood. You know, that was, that was how Walmart worked probably 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Walmart's approach was, we're going to go create little stores in every little town and just sort of drive the other people out of business. So we're, not, we're just interested in, and that was a business thing, right? Whatever, Walmart wants to do that. But there has been this approach with churches where this, this church in particular is dropping locations into neighborhoods where you go, well, there's already a, a couple really good uh, discipleship-focused, gospel-based churches Do you care that you're 
sort of dealing with, and it's like, we don't care. We just want to draw those people into that. We see that with the, the big churches. I've seen small churches, even right here in this neighborhood, small churches that have tried to get planted. We've even had a couple that we've let them use our building a little bit, and, and they haven't lasted more than a couple years. And as I've talked to their leaders, they've said, wow, it's really hard to compete on an entertainment level unless you really have substantial resources to make this happen. And so I think, unfortunately, that, that push for attractional growth tends churches towards wanting to be like this, right? Wanting to be, we just want to have this giant crowd, this giant stadium of people. They can say, oh, it, the term can be nickels and noses. We're worried about well, how much money do we get and how many noses are sitting in the seats. And I go, I, I don't really get that heart from the New Testament because I think what that does is it starts to trend us away from expanding the gospel into new fields. We start thinking, oh, we just want to add more seats. We're not interested in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. I just want to gather more and more and, and increase the size of what I have going on here. Uh, it can become problematic when... There's, you know, there's a lot of unpopular truth <laughs> in the Bible. And you go, ooh, if I'm sort of trying to get more people here, I'm not going to get more people here when I preach some of those things that are, un that are scriptural but unpopular culturally. Uh, we recognize, too, any of us who've walked with the Lord for a long time, we go, wow, discipleship is a, low, a slow, hard process. Well, that doesn't really contribute to putting people in the seats. So it's hard to, hard to emphasize that. Uh, there's also sort of that idea of leadership. And when we look at, you know, the difference between a professional class and, you know, the church, we go, well, in the New Testament, it seems really that leadership is character-based. Now, that doesn't mean that people are perfect or people are without sin, but it goes, wow, we really want people leading from within. And we really want people who are striving to follow the Lord and... Man, I've met a number of pastors in different places who I go, wow, they're really gifted at teaching or they're really gifted at speaking or they're really gifted at such and such thing. But man, I can't stand to be around them. And I, I've seen them treat their staff poorly. I've seen them treat, treat other people poorly. I, I, I see them treat their kids poorly. I go, oh, we, we can trend away from that because we go, well, given that the, the guy is an excellent speaker, he's going to put a bunch of people in the seats and a bunch of dollars in the bank account or a guy with character, maybe we'll go with that, right? I see that this trend takes people away from loyalty and commitment. Man, we all face challenges. Every single one of us has got challenges, and we want to walk through challenges together if we're not loyal and committed to each other. Well, you know what? If you have a, a attractional, entertainment-driven place and it becomes not entertaining, well... Just go to a different one, right? There's another one to go to. So you sort of lose that loyalty. And then I think that last one there, I think there's all kinds of people in our culture who are lost and wandering, maybe who've been burned by church, or maybe they, they just don't know the Lord, and they look at that sort of attractional entertainment thing, and they go, that's not entertaining, and that doesn't meet my need. And so they have this need for truth and this need for community, and the programs and the presentations are just not really going to help meet them where their deep needs are. Okay, so I say all of that, and I want to make sure that you hear me. I'm not, I'm not being critical and negative, just observational. I'm not trying to say, oh, those guys, they're not doing it right. I just go, well, these are my observations. This is what I see in the world around me. And, and I would say, be the first one to say, there are some great attractional churches right here in Denver and all across the country. So that's not really the issue. issue. 
But these, they have a battle to fight. They have a battle to fight against these things. I think if they want to get to the heart of what the New Testament has, it's a big fight. The problems are enormous there. And so I think another question we can ask is, what does it take? What does it take then? If we're going to have an attractional church here in Denver or in the United States, but especially here in Denver, what is it going to take? And I think it's going to take these two things. The first one is, I would call them super skilled professionals. I don't know, maybe that's... uh, super skilled. That's kind of a weak term. Maybe I could come up with a better adjective, but I think you do have to be very gifted. You need to have people who are gifted at the entertainment arts. You've got to have people who are really gifted at developing and leading and managing all different kinds of programs. You have to have people who are gifted at marketing and your image and your advertising. And it's going to be really hard to find those kind of things from within, right? That's why there's this professional class where you can go out and get resumes and get people hired, right? It would take a miracle to find all of those things probably within your own body of, of the church. And then it's going to take monetary resources. You have to be able to pay all those people with special skills, right? They're a commodity, and if you can't pay enough, they'll go somewhere else where they can get paid enough. And you also have to have monetary resources to afford all the material needed for all of those programs that are going to meet people's needs. You're going to have to fund a facility required to house all of it. And that's a huge challenge, especially in this market where real estate is really, really expensive. And not just a little bit of money, like, oh, a little drip at a time. It's going to take a lot, a big infusion of money, which means investors, which means loans. Ooh, that's very scary. And so, as Brad and I, as we've really prayed and examined this, we go, that is a huge mountain to get over. And we think about that as our church. We go, I, I don't know if God would really want us to try to climb that mountain and get over it. And so, we really think God has something different for us. We really think God has something different for us than going that direction. So, what's a church like ours supposed to do? And by the way, I think this is an awesome church. I am so excited and thankful to be part of this group of people. And even the ones who are sick today. I'm glad they're part of it too. They're not here. That's okay. So what are we going to do? Are we going to focus our efforts on going back to the Civic Center model? That doesn't seem very smart to me, right? That seems like we're going backwards. It doesn't seem like it's very responsive to our culture, right? I I don't think that's the way to go. And so we go, well, are we going to focus our efforts on becoming an attractional church? Do we want to try to do that? I think it's probably impossible, Without some kind of massive influx of talent and treasure. and uh, You guys are all really talented. I'm sure I'm talented too. We all have our talents and our gifts. But to get over that, if you go to any of the directional churches in town that are really big and are really making that happen, you'd go, whoa, the difference between any of us and their sort of skill level is... It's pretty significant, right? So we go, okay, I'm not sure it's going to work. And furthermore, like I just described, there's all kinds of landmines and all kinds of problems and all kinds of issues. And I even think, as we go into the future, and I'm trying to look down the road and trying to be wise and not worry about the future, but I go, I think it's going to become more and more difficult to be able to make that work in the future. I think that the culture is growing increasingly hostile towards churches and especially 
especially towards big churches. And I think at some point in the near future, we're going to see some of those legal protections that these churches have built their business models on. I think some of them are going to go away. Some of these tax exemptions and some of these conscience exceptions, they're going to erode and it's going to become more and more difficult to make that happen. And really, when it comes to my heart, my heart for this church is that we would be taking ground for the kingdom of God and not fighting those battles. I don't think that's what God would have for us. I want us to be a church that takes ground. And I don't just want us to be a group that does that. My desire is for every single person, every single one of us, to be involved in that effort and to join in seeing the fruit of the lost saved and disciples made. And my suspicion is that all of you probably want to be part of that too. That's why you're here. And so if we thought, if we looked at this and we said, you know what, that attractional thing seems really cool and let's go that way, like that's what maybe God would have for us to do, then we probably would say, you know what, I think maybe we should close our doors because there's other people are doing a lot better job of it than we probably could ever do with the resources that we have. But there is a third option, isn't there? We have a third option, which is the family model. Well, what does it take to make a family model go? Well, I thought about it and I prayed about it and talked to some people and here's what I think the family model takes. I think it takes a spiritually healthy group of people. And when I say spiritually healthy, I don't mean, oh, they have no sin or they have no struggles or they have no issues or they have no challenge. I don't mean that. I mean, are they really pursuing Jesus? We're not. I think that's one thing it's going to take to make that happen in a family. I think it's going to take servant leaders with character. Again, not people who are perfect, but people who say, yeah, I want to pursue Jesus and I want to lead by serving. I'm not super gifted, I'm just yielded. I'm just yielded to God. I think it's strong discipleship practices of building the saints and building into them things like loyalty and family and deep relationships with each other. I think that's what it takes to make that model go. I think it takes a heart for evangelism. Ah. I was just talking with Dave. We were talking about this conference that we were at on Friday. And I thought, wow, free conference. Famous guy speaking. Delicious free lunch, right? I thought it was on a Friday and it was open to any pastor. They invited all kinds of pastors. And there was only about 300 people there. And I think Dave and I sort of agreed to it. It's probably because of the topic, which was evangelism. And I go, well, to us, and I think our church, we go, evangelism is just what we are. That's our DNA. That's who we are. And so having a heart for evangelism, I think, is what's going to make that thing go. And so when I compare these things to our church, I go, I see all of these things right here in our midst with all of our people. I think we have spiritual health. I think we have committed disciples. I think we have laborers for the gospel. I think we are a group of people who love the lost. And so my conclusion is I think, man, by wholeheartedly pursuing a family model... This church, the Firehouse Church, this organization can most effectively release, empower, and encourage each one of you and me to be fully joined in the mission of Jesus. And what is that mission? I love it. In Luke 19, Jesus says, what did he come for? What's his mission? To seek and save the lost. That's what we're supposed to do. I think that as a church, as we go that way, 
We can do it. And that's my desire is that each person, each one of you, I don't care if you are a little, you know, we got the little baby over here. It's like their newest one. Or I don't know who the oldest person is. I won't call you out. I don't know who that is. But all of us in between, wherever we're at in life, can be on this mission to seek and save the lost. And we can do it together. And that fires me up. And that's my desire to do. And so we can ask that question, where are we going? So where are we going? Well, we'll talk more about it next week. You're like, ah, oh, I wanted to hear more. <laughs> but that's my hope, is that today you can walk away and you can understand some of that framework. Or you go, oh, okay. Because it can get really confusing and we can look at other churches and we can go to conferences and we can see things on the internet or whatever we're reading and we're like, wait, what, what are we trying to do? What are we aiming at? I think that's where we're going to be aiming, is to be a family. Not an attractional church, but a family church, a family model. So what does that mean for us? Well, like I said, next week we're going to talk more about that and get more specific on what are the purposes and the functions and how is that going to play out for our church in the coming year. So, that being said, I'll probably close it for today. I just want to say again, I am so thankful for every single one of you. I am so thankful for you, and I'm really excited to walk out this journey with each one of you. Each family, each kid, each adult, everybody together, walk this out as we discover where we're going here this year. Amen? All right, I'll pray. Yeah, Lord, God, we're just submitted to your will and your direction. And God, we want to, we want to do what's best for your kingdom. We wonder why, if we ever wonder why Jesus came, he says it right there, to seek and save the lost. And so, God, we know you're going out, like, your spirit is going out into the world to seek and then to save the lost. God, we just declare we want to be your instruments for doing that. And as each one of us has that desire to participate and to be part of your mission, Lord, help us as a church organization to be built around that. To be modeled upon that. That our characteristics and qualities would be really focused on you and your mission. And help us walk it out. Lord, help us to be at peace as we think about that and consider that and wonder how is that going to go and how is that going to work. And God, we just trust that you're, gonna, you're laying out this road map for us. And as we go down that road, you're going to help us. But I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus to die in, in my place and take the penalty for my sins. God, and I think about all of those around us in the community around us and what I'm sure each one of us can have as we think about lost people in our lives, we can see faces in our mind of, of friends and neighbors and colleagues and um, family members. And God, we just we intercede on their behalf and we ask that they would be saved Lord that you would seek them out that you would pursue them by your spirit and that you would lead them to salvation God and if you would use any of us in those relationships we ask you would do it God thank you that we get to be on this mission with you in Jesus name we pray Amen